0: I wasn't planning on speaking as well, but uh, let's just say it happened. Uh, Before we do, um, we want to congratulate Dr. James Pedler on the defense of his Ph.D. thesis, uh, which is no mean feat, and uh, we just want you to know how Glad you're with us, and congratulations. No conditions? Huh. Did you have conditions on your, any of yours? Did you have conditions? There you go. No conditions? I'd like to move on. Okay. <laughs> I won't ask the dean. Where is he? There he is. <laughs> conditions? No conditions. So you're in, you are in the great tradition of the dean of the university Dr. Dougal only. Congratulations, Dr. James Pedler. The thesis title was the Theology of the Ecclesial Charism special reference to the Salvation Army of the Paulist Fathers. I bet you didn't even know that the Paulist Fathers mentioned the Salvation Army. They didn't. <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's the point. Good. Anyway, for a scintillating read. Be sure uh, to pick it up in the library, because it will be in the library. Hugh, wherever you are. It will be in the library. Yeah, good. It'll be your first sale. <laughs> That's great. I want, um, I'm, I'm actually preaching downtown in a church, which is probably good. Uh, not on the street at Young Street, but... Um, and then I'm also preparing for the commencement chapel. For the, and a the passage I want to use is this passage in 1 Samuel 3. And so I thought I'd just kind of tease you with it uh, this morning. Because it, it, it's one of my favorite passages. And it was one of my favorite passages as a child. If you grew up in church, and I'm not assuming that all of you did. I did. Which was both a blessing and a curse especially the church that I grew up in. Um, but it was, it was a large church, and, and uh, I can remember the story being told in flannel graphs. <laughs> raise your right hand if you know what a flannel graph is. Or maybe raise your hand if you don't know what a flannel graph is. <laughs> you poor, deprived people. Um, it was before iPads, and way more creative than iPads. Well, kind of. But I can remember the story, and, uh, and for some reason it caught me, and I think it caught me because somehow it was a story about a kid, Samuel. He's 12. And, and I remember that somehow that was really good. He was 12. I was 12 or younger probably when I heard the story the first time. But there's lots in this passage that I never, realized, I never noticed before. For instance, this amazing line where it says, the word of the Lord, in the first couple of verses there, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There's no Old Testament scholars here, so I can say this. Uh, in the Hebrew, <laughs> it, it literally means, The word of the Lord was not vivid as it has once been. Isn't that interesting? It was a time where there was not much good preaching. When religion appeared to be slipping off the radar. When nine out of ten Israelites rated their politicians more trustworthy than their priests. The sort of time that sounds kind of like Canada in 2013 except the fact that politicians and priests would probably score as low right now, especially senators. And the story opens with the older Eli. They usually do begin there because that's where the power lies. People in power tend to be, shall we say, more mature. Uh, I still remember in my early 50s, being told by the Baptist World Alliance that they wanted me to become a vice president of this World Alliance because they wanted to have some younger leaders in the organization. I had finally made it at 50. The older generation represents power as it usually does. It was interesting, I don't know if you noticed this, the cabinet shift yesterday in Ottawa They were really talking about the movement toward a younger generation. The average age of the previous cabinet was 54. The average age of this cabinet is 52. So they really did a good job. But in this case, in this passage, Eli represents power. He's a priest. He's the head priest. He spent his whole entire life dealing with the word of the Lord. Because that's what priests do. They mediate between God and God's people, saying to people what they think God wants to say to them. And Eli's given his entire life to this kind of idea. And he's obviously not been very good at it. Because it seems that the word of God was rare in those days. Or at least not too vivid. But in this story there's something different. A word from the Lord does come, become more vivid. It intrudes one night when the whole city is asleep, and it does not come to Eli, but he comes to Samuel. God doesn't stir the old man who's been pouring over scriptures listening for what God is saying. It comes to this little boy who's not been pouring over scriptures and hasn't been listening for anything but Eli's voice. And here it is. Why does the young boy Samuel get to hear God's word and not the old priest? Elsewhere we're told Eli is overweight. He's fat. (laughs) Just a little aside. It obviously was important for Samuel to, to let you know that. And that's why he wasn't able to steady the Ark of the Lord in another part of the story. But Eli represents the establishment, the complacent, the content with what it's got, the settled down, the comfortable with whoever shows up on a Sunday. He represents established religion in the story. Samuel represents innocence and openness energy. So here's my question. With whom do you identify with in this story? As I've been working on this passage, I've had this terrible discovery, this surprising discovery for myself. There was a time that I would have immediately identified with young Samuel. I always loved this story because I could always see myself as Samuel. It's about a kid. It's about a kid like me. Later, it became even clear to me when I identified with the story even more. I thought I was going to be a PE teacher, a phys ed teacher, and sing in bars and lounges, which was the other thing I was doing at the time. And instead, God called me into ministry. First to faith in university and then to ministry. It was later then. It was probably later than when Samuel discovered it. But somehow, I was Samuel in that time. But somewhere, I got turned around. And now I may be old Eli, the priest up at the temple or at least the president at the university college and seminary. I always read this story from the standpoint of Samuel for years and years. I'm not sure when it changed. Maybe it was at 45 when I'd been in the church in Edmonton for more than 10 years. And I can remember driving up and just wondering if I had a word even to give to people then. I was Eli somehow. But back in my young man prophetic days and granola days, I would have identified with Samuel. I was the young pastor who was sent from California to come back to Canada, disrupt the church in Saskatchewan. I came with a fresh word, convinced that I knew everything. And they certainly had not heard anything I was about to tell them. I was ready to overturn, to pluck up, to tear down, so that something new might be built. But not now. How does this passage feel to some of you? Some of you, the partly older generation or religious professionals who are watching the power shift to the young Samuels. Why does God choose to speak to them and not to us? As in so many stories, we are witnessing in this story a power shift. A handing over of the torch, if you want Later, there would be sad events in the house of Eli, and something would, dreadful would happen. But we're witnessing this shift that God is moving in people's lives. But I want you to notice one important thing, that it took Eli to tell Samuel that this voice, which was intruding and confusing him, was a word from God. This should be an inspiring story. It should, it should be telling us that something exciting has happened, that we all have a role to play in what God is wanting to say to us. In a time when the word of the Lord is rare, God speaks. When the word of God is not vivid, he is still speaking. That's one of the things that comes out of this story. This isn't really a story about being old or young. It's a story of being open-minded or closed-minded. It's a story of hope. That in a time when the word of the Lord is rare and not so vivid, if you listen, both to each other and to God, he speaks. He speaks to us. It really depends on where you see yourself in this story and whether or not you want to be open. It's interesting. Uh, one of my favorite preachers is, uh, is a guy named William Williman who, who used to preach in the Duke Chapel. The chapel is a bit of a misnomer like ours over on Bayview. The Duke Chapel doesn't, is a big Gothic cathedral that seats 1,600 people. Uh, And every Sunday morning, he would preach in this chapel uh, to whoever came uh, and oftentimes people who had no connection to faith at all. But one day, he was reflecting at a conference I was at and that he was speaking. And he was reflecting about the university campus that he was in and and he made this. uh, He said, in all of his years of being a chaplain on Duke, at Duke University, He had only had two or three calls from worried parents. He had more than two or three calls from parents. No, I'm sorry. He said, I very rarely had any people, parents phone me to say, help, my my son is sexually promiscuous, or help, my daughter is addicted to alcohol. But that most of the calls that he got from parents, many of them he said quite angry, were more fears that their children were taking their religion too seriously. Isn't that interesting? Help. I sent my child to Duke to go to law school or grad school or med school or fill in the blanks and she's become a religious fanatic. A Religious fanatic usually was translated as someone who was actually taking their faith seriously and was making decisions based on their faith. All they wanted was their son or daughter to go to university, get a little church by going to Duke Chapel, but they didn't want them to take it seriously. Uh, In a time when the word of the Lord is rare, it's faithful people who take it seriously that hear God. Well, that's a teaser to a longer sermon, much later. Let's pray. In the busyness of our day, in all the things that we're doing, we pause this day, every week, to acknowledge that you are our God And while we are not the church, we are a learning community focused and framed and founded on you. In this place, we should hear your voice. And we confess that at times in the business of all that we do, that we, like Eli, feel like the word, your word, is very rare. Grant us the heart and the mind of Samuel. Or bring us the gift of Samuel's around us so that together we might more clearly hear you. Amen. Peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and through the rest of the week. Go with God. Amen.